Welcome to the sunny side of tech, Neil. As you know, uh, in this week's episode, we've got um, with us a very special guest who's been a data strategist at the DFE. Um, and Neil McIver is um, been the CDO at DFE for a while. Um, and what we have in today's podcast, we're going to have the guests' personal opinions as part of what their journey has been over the years in the space of data and other industry parallels. So uh, let me get started, Neil. So thank you for joining us today. Just tell us a little bit about yourself, right? I mean, uh, what got you to the position where you are? What's your journey been like? Yeah, thank you. Um, a, a lot of it is just been good fortune and luck and being in the right place at the right time. But I think sometimes you, you uh, create a bit of your own luck. So so I, I joined the civil service probably just a little bit over 20 years ago now, and I was a, a fast stream statistician. But what we'd actually, what I was doing was what we would call data engineering nowadays, but it was before data, data engineering being a thing. So I did spend quite a bit of time sort of linking together cross-government databases, um, I went, I fell out of data for a bit and moved into the policy world and helped deliver some government policies and then became the chief statistician at the Department of Work and Pensions, um, gosh, probably about nine or so years ago. And then that developed into being much more data focused as opposed to analytically focused. And that's where about six years ago, I became the chief data officer here at the Department for Education. Wow, that, that sounds very, very interesting. I mean, you've seen, you've been around the block quite a bit, but you live and breathe public sector is what I'd say. Uh, yeah, absolutely, of course. So, so my, most of my adult working career been in public sector. Um, I have to ask, um, have you had the, you, the normal attraction towards the more private sector financial services? Has that been a sort of thing saying, come over to the dark side? <laughs> So, so you never say never say never on anything, do you? Um, I, I've had a fantastic time here. I I think one of the benefits of working for the public sector is that you know you're really making a difference to people's lives. But there's also you know I don't know if people call it a perk or not, but I've had the opportunity of being in the House of Commons, sitting in the officials' box when my minister's been giving debates as a supporting official, and it's sort of things like that that you just don't get in the private sector. So one of the downsides, though, and again, it was exciting that I, I was also a witness to a parliamentary committee where the horseshoe of MPs quizzing me for half an hour about why we weren't using the national insurance number to measure migration into the country many years ago. Yeah, now it's, that sounds exciting. I mean, all of that sounds uh, a, a very high pressure environment, if I'm honest. Um, and you must have a special talent to actually deal with that. So uh, kudos to you on that. Well, I, I, I think any job's high pressure, isn't it? And it's just it's just different types of pressure, isn't it? Absolutely. So, so tell us a little bit about where you stand with data, right? So what does data actually mean to you? So, I mean, data is just fundamental to everything we do at the moment, isn't it? You know, I'm thinking of repainting my hallway at the moment, and I need to figure out how many pots of paint to buy. And that's just data, isn't it? It's data and numbers and being able to do that. But, but you know, as we go forward into a much more sort of modern world of sort of everything being fully digitalized and automated, it's really important that we understand data. So, uh, you know, be, being able to understand how data flows through systems, how data links to systems thinking, how data links to everything we do when we're operationalizing a policy, you know, running the tax system or the benefit system in the country, it's all underpinned by data. Um, and where my passion is, is making sure that data isn't just forgotten about and, uh, you know, happens as if by magic somewhere, somewhere else, but you actually have to put a lot of thought and effort into making sure um, that, that, that you can acquire the data you need to run your operation, that you actually structure it properly so that you're reducing 
um, inefficiencies and overheads and that you're using it properly and, 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 and that it's done in a way that you can actually run things in, in real time or near real time. You know, just, just look at Formula One, for example. You know, the, the whole Formula One racetrack is all derived by data, isn't it? And the winning teams, it's skill, but it's skill and data analysis combined that makes a winning team in Formula One. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I, I must say that answer put you right on top of my list of people passionate about data. I'll give you that. Um, <laughs> um, so, 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 I mean, uh, th that's a beautiful way to put it, actually, because you're kind of saying data is the one thing that's holding a lot of these together. Uh, and it's also hugely um, underrated in terms of its role within organization. It's getting a lot of traction now, both in the public sector and the private uh -huh. sector, uh -huh. uh, which is the kind of, it, it, data has to be the first citizen, right? And you can't be having this sort of, well, we'll think about data later. So I, I quite yeah, like I'm, 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 And it's forced into running an organization as well. You know, how, 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 how do you know that your headcount forecasts are accurate and that you've not got optimism bias in it? How do you know that you're managing your budgets properly? You know, it's not just data for analysis. You know, it's data. It's just everywhere, isn't it? We can't make decisions without it. Exactly, exactly. So, so about your role as a CDO and obviously chief statistician, I, I mean, obviously, as a CDO, you have a macro view, I'd imagine, across what is happening. But when you're a statistician, um, you're kind of looking at specific aspects of data, not necessarily the platforming and all of that, right? So is there some sort of, uh, are you kind of tone between the two? I mean, how does that work so, on a day-to-day -day so, so, so organizationally, I and the department made a conscious decision to move my statistical responsibilities over to the analytical function so that we could separate data because especially in government we, we tend to use the words data and analysis as interchangeable words. Um, a lot of the conferences I've been talking about at the moment I've been sort of trying to think about how I can best sort of uh, get, get, get a better understanding of end-to-end -end data pipelines and I've come up with this sort of very very simplistic model is that all data basically falls into three parts. You've got to get it You've got to put it somewhere and you've got to use it. Now, the statistics and the analysis is all about using it and we focus on using it. And it's really, really important because if you're not going to use the data, there's no point getting it and putting it anywhere in the first place. But where a lot of organizations fall down is they thinking solely on the use of data and not about the get and the put. And if you don't get the data you need, if the data doesn't exist or you don't understand how systems work to produce data, if you don't put it, structure it, manage it, govern it properly, then you're going to really hinder your ability to use that data to make changes and insights. Absolutely. I mean, you've actually hit on a very important point. We are seeing a, a beautiful trend in the industry, a pattern around data contracts, right, which is kind of bringing all of this together because we've over the years spent a lot of time bringing data into a single place and it's like hope isn't a strategy after all right and uh, we were like well let's get all this data in a massive data lake and then at some point we'll think about it and then there is the alternative view which is let's just build these individual use cases right point to point thing and then don't really care about where it came from because it's actually just doing one thing Whereas with what you're talking about here is you need to look at the end-to-end -end life cycle of data as a whole, and you'll be like, it has to be responsibly sourced from the right sources. It has to be in a place where it is governed well and sustainably maintained. Hmm. And then obviously you have to make sure that you have the customers in mind. And, and I think also what you've got to factor into that as well is the maturity of the organization that you're working in, because some some models will work really well in high mature organizations but they'll crash and burn in a low data maturity organization so when you're thinking about sort of that whole get 
input use model you've got to tailor it to your organization and where your organization is in the journey absolutely i mean it there isn't a one size fits all in any of these architectural no. patterns or data uh, sort of uh, platforms and what we are starting to do a lot with the synergy also is creating a, a sort of very uh, fisher price view of what we need to do uh, bring it down right to the basics so that people kind of appreciate what is that that we are trying to achieve and not necessarily the how right um, the why is the most important thing right why are we trying to do this going back to basics is absolutely the way to go about it um so see so, i mean i know you've obviously been around the block quite a bit um and it's see obviously business processes and the operational aspects of the organization play a huge part into how this data manifests itself right so how do you bring those two together so, i mean so, so, th- i mean this is a really important point because if you go back to get data is is most of the data we need especially when we're working in real time or near real time data environments to help us really know what's going on with our policies or our deliverables um uh, it, 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 it's data is generated by a business process so you can't detach the two you've got to overlay your business process your data mapping one one, one of the things that i try to do um uh, and we've had variable success you know some some really good areas of success and some dead ends is 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 when you want to understand how your data is flowing your organizational ecosystem you've got to think of it in in different layers but, but you've absolutely got to overlay the business process and the decision points in your organization and then ask those questions about when a decision point happens what data is generated into what system and then how does it link together and until you've actually done that you can't architect your enterprise level data architects underneath it you know you can you can map and you can identify and it's a two way process as well because once you've mapped and identified you know we've done some mapping here where we identified oh there's lots of manual processes over here we can actually make the whole business process much more efficient you know think lean think um, six sigma and stuff like that um by identifying where there is sort of touch points that you could automate yeah. So, so business process data mapping, data processes, it, it it's just different sides of the same coin, really. Absolutely. I mean, um, you mentioned Six Sigma. There, gosh, that's a blast from the past. I haven't heard <laughs> that just... in a while. Um, but having said that, the principles still hold, right? I mean, um, so so uh, I mean, obviously, um, I hear a lot about. Um, you know, this pace at which public sector ecosystem evolves versus the private sector. Um, I've worked in uh, private sector for many, many years, and I'm always intrigued by, you know, how, how does it actually evolve? Because you've got other constraints, obviously. Um, so, so what's your sort of, um, obviously, the adoption must have a unique set of challenges within public sector, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, one thing you have to realize in the public sector is that we, we, we are following a democratic mandate of elected officials who are elected on a platform to do certain things um, and and some of those certain things are long term and some of them are short term and we also have a massive responsibility because every pound I spend is is my own money it's taxpayers money so I've got a huge responsibility to make sure that every pound is spent on on something that's 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 achieving the aims of the government of the day ir- irrespective of, of what political persuasion that government is um, and uh, uh, and that that's great, but it also can have some frustrations as well because you know when you come into really hard business planning rounds and things like that, you know, especially in areas where understanding how data infrastructure is as essential as your roads and rails infrastructure, for example, it can be quite hard to get investment into long-term projects. Um, so, so you need to sort of 
play play that game a little bit and 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 really really focus on getting a balance between quick wins that really make a difference um to 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 also doing some of that longer term work almost sort of under the bonnet so that you can divert to it so a little little technique i use and i've coined the phrase um uh, uh stractical so so i have this strategy on where i want to get to and where i want to sort of build my infrastructure for all sorts of good reasons but you also have some tactical deliveries to make sure that basically you're proving to to, you, to, to my bosses, you know, ministers, to the people that are sort of uh, divvying the money out to different parts of the organisation, that I'm I'm worth my, my pay, basically. Uh, and and if you keep one eye always on the strategic goals, you can build your tactical solutions so that as you move forward down the line, you don't need to sort of rewrite and throw everything away. You might have to throw 20% away to align it. So think of two two train tracks. You know, you've got a point system at some point, but if you've always got an eye on the strategic goal, you can make these practical solutions that, that hopefully at some point in the future you can move on to the main line. Yeah, I love that. Um, um, that's a term I'm going to remember. We use a very similar term, uh, which is about um, calling unlocking business value quicker. Now, obviously, it's uh, public sector isn't necessarily a business, but after all, it is unlocking business value for the consumers and the public, really. Uh, and it is along the same lines. But uh, we, we tend to see organizations take a very acute tactical approach to things. And then that gets you into back in a corner where you're thinking, hang on, all these investments, we unlock so many things. But now when the next crisis comes along or a big data demand comes along, we got to start again. Yeah, yeah. I've since spent a lot of my career sort of coming up behind with my bucket and pan sweeping up after the tactical solution has then suddenly become not sustainable. Um, and, and that's a pity because sometimes you have to divert lots of resource on on stopping the plates falling down that you could have been spending on innovative solutions but you know being pragmatic that's that's probably the same in most organizations as well it's just a fact of life that we have to live with absolutely i mean we've all got scars to show from that one right so we've yeah. always picked up a few tactical bits and thinking hang on why did we do that and maybe sounded good at the time, but yeah. Um, so, I mean, generally, I mean, over the years, you've obviously been down this road. Um, what's your, I mean, if, if you had to sort of distill your overall learnings, I know where your thought process is in terms of how would you do things in terms of focus, but from the learnings, because you obviously you've had some failures and some successes, right? That's just life. Absolutely, uh, yeah. So, so if you had to distill that into, say, top three learnings for the listeners, right, just to say... How, how would you go about this and things pitfalls to avoid? What would those so, be? So, so, so I think first and foremost, I mean, especially if you want to be sort of a, a strategic data level in an organization, you've got to think about sort of the skills that you need to do that job. And slightly controversially, I put technological and data skills quite low down on those. Um, I think you need to be a strategist. I think you need to be a really good communicator. I think you need to be a people person. I think you need to be a leader because if you go in with a data perspective or even worse, just a technological perspective, um, you'll quickly find yourself disassociated with the business and the organization. And they'll see you as, as, as someone not part of the organization, but someone that is, is very clever and might help us out on a few little things, but you bring them in to deliver something. You don't bring them in for that strategic thinking landscape which is 
how it's got to be really, really important. So I think they're, they're the really important things to do. And, and, and I think the other thing is, is, is always have one end on why you're doing something. You know, sometimes when I go back to, to teams and organizations I've worked with and says, why are you doing this? And, and, and they look at me blankly. Um, but unless there's a really good outcome, you know, in, in, in my job at the moment, you know, everything has to lead into at some stage, one or all of the Secretary of State's priorities. And if it's not doing that, why are we doing it? Um, and it also, I think, helps to motivate the teams then as well, because, you know, when I was working in departments and work and pensions, you know, everything we did in the data team was was either um, helping pensioners pay their, their their utility bills or helping people get into work and create better lives for themselves. And if you're a little bit creative in your thinking, you can actually join those dots up. And that's why we're here. You know, and that's why we're here in the public sector is to make a difference for for citizens of, of the UK. Absolutely. I mean, um, th that's beautifully put because all you're saying is, is it, to summarize that a little bit, bring a bit of pragmatic thinking into it and always challenge why. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Without that, um, and I find this within many organizations that teams that are heavily motivated is because they have the organizational vision very clear in their heads that this is why we are trying to do this. And that then distills down to their day to day activity and it rolls into the overall success. It does, and I think I think the pragmatism you said is a really really key bit here as well because, um, you know, w w w it's easy. It can be easy, can't it, to get frustrated that you know I I can see why it's really really important to do this, but the organisation can't see it. Now we have to look at ourselves and think, well, is it a because we haven't explained it properly and linked it to, to it? You know, do do do, do the the, the the people that are controlling sort of the strategic direction of the organisation or the money sort of really get you know get it and you need to you need to look at yourself at, at that rather than look out and say it's, it's other people that don't understand it what how can i explain it differently if i think it's the right thing and then the other part of pragmatism is that there are lots of competing competing demands in all organizations and while the things that are important to me are important to me they might not quite be as important to the organization as we would hope to be so you've got to be a bit hard-skinned I, I always say you have got to not really have a bit of you, you can't really have an ego to be a chief data officer because because one of the things we're doing is enabling other people to look brilliant um and if you're a little bit subtle about it you know you you, you can you can make sure that by doing that you look brilliant yourself but you know you, you have to choose your battles you know to win the the long-term war Absolutely. I mean, I, I have to draw a little bit of a parallel from what you're saying here with what we are hearing from your CDO community, your peer group within private sector banking. Uh, we were at an event recently and a lot of the CDO community is pretty much in the same line of thinking, which is the tech and the niche sort of data aspects. They pretty much are last in the equation. Uh, that's not what we are here for focus on the outcomes, work your way down from that as opposed to. So uh, that, that's quite uh, specific to the data world because we tend to get hung up on technology too much almost. Absolutely. And, and, and you say we're aligning with what's happening in the wider industry. And, and, and that's not, um, not a surprise because all the data challenges you have in private sector, in finance, in retail and what have you, are exactly the same data challenges you have in government. And I remember when I first came into this job, I, I, I took my sort of uh, senior team underneath me and, 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 and a few of my specialists to um, an insurance company. There was a good friend of mine who was a CDO at the insurance company at the time. Um, and everyone was saying, well, why are you taking this to an insurance company? It's got nothing to do with education. And then at the end of the day, we came out and said, it's exactly the same problems, isn't it? It's just talked about in different terminology. And I went, exactly, and that's why I took you there. You know, we, all the same problems. There's lots of different solutions, but you know, 
understand that we're not here ourselves and we can learn better by talking to people and not just um, siloing ourselves into our own sort of genres. Absolutely. Um, so, so moving on from that, I mean, obviously these learnings are beautiful, but end of the day, how do you keep up with market trends, right? So you've obviously had the sort of um, explosion of um, new sort of patterns emerging. We've got the data fabric, you've got data vault, data vault 2.0, you've got data mesh. Um, what's your sort of view on those patterns? I mean, um, is, do we have a silver bullet here, one that uh, can solve it all? I, I, I don't think we have a silver bullet. I, th I, think, I think all these different patterns and ways of doing things, um, there's no one right way. And as sort of going back to what I said before, it all depends on the maturity of the organization. It all depends on what you're trying to achieve. Um, it also all depends on, you know, uh, you know, as I said before, you know, I, I've got a duty to the taxpayer to make sure that their money's been spent properly. So let's not get perfection in the way of good. So it's not like I'm Amazon, where I have to keep my market share in the face of competitors. You know, it's almost like we're a monopoly in what we do. So, so there is a there is a question: is 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 what we're doing good enough for what we need to do? rather than it being platinum coated um, and I think where we are in a lot of things you know so, so, so I've moved to um, lake housing architectural technology in my area because we need to run for example one of my um, pieces of work I'm running around 19,000 bespoke dashboards real-time dashboards on the back of it you know we need we need that streaming capability of a lake housing model based with sort of a, a, a data smart back end to allow our analysts to go in and create sort of static derived variable databases to do analysis on the back of and that works fine for me you know I, I've, I've sort of talked with quite a few people that have toyed with data mesh in government my personal view is I don't think government's mature enough for data mesh because unless you've got really strong governance across the whole lot data governance governance with a low G uh, not a capital G um, uh, it, it, it can crash and burn but but that's the same with data lakes. It's the same with warehousing as well. Um, and, and and at the moment, for most government departments, I sort of favour a bit more of a T-shaped model, where you have a strong centre, but you democratise delivery into sort of the business units wherever possible, but keep that link to a strong centre. Absolutely. I mean, um, I, I I find that quite interesting also because um, I've not, hardly ever come across an organisation where they've said, well, we are all data mesh or all data lake or all whatever. Because organizations are moving slowly towards, um, we need a hybrid view. This architecture pattern works for this kind of use cases. We aren't yeah. mature enough. And you're right. I mean, things like the data mesh, they hardly challenge the technology. They predominantly challenge the organizational constructs, the ways of working, the sort of operating model. And federation is beautiful when fully there. But that's a utopian view of it, right? And governance is, when you federate, Governance becomes paramount to what uh, your success or the other way around. So, um, I have to I have to go into this because this is a topic that is emerging. Where are you with LLMs and Gen AI, though? So, I, I, I mean, we're we're investigating best use of LLMs and Gen AI anyway. I mean, I think it's an exciting sort of uh, area of development. I, I think you know it's it's here to stay. You can't you know you can't get away from that. There's a question mark about sort of is it going to be totally unregulated or what level of regulation do you need? But again, let's go back to the basics. Even with Gen AI and LMMs, go to your get put use model. You know, if you're going to train up an LLM, do you have enough 
and the right quantity and the right quality of digitalized material in an area that you can access it to actually feed that model and to make it learn from it. And I think sometimes we're a bit at danger of sort of using new buzzwords on something that it's not suitable for. And like all of these things, you know, we've got to choose the right tools for the right job. You know, I'm not going to use a spanner to take out a screw. Yeah, I love that. Um, it's it's quite polarized. The whole industry around this actually, you've got the you you've got the absolute believers who think this is the next best thing since sliced bread, and you've got the people who are treading quite carefully. And I think the general sentiment on this across the industry is that everybody is investigating, but they are just looking out to see. Hang on, can we find those niche aspects to prove this out first, as opposed to let's just go kamikaze on it and let's get it all over the place. So, um, love that. Um, on that note, I um I have to obviously check. I I was told you're a bit of an Excel ninja. <laughs> I so again, it's, it's using your spanner for your, your screwdriver, isn't it? One 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 of my biggest bugbears at the moment is people that use Excel as a database. So you've got, to, you've got to remember, Excel is a great tool for sort of manipulating number and doing stuff at low level and all the rest of it. But but I think it's because it's a common on most people's desktops that everybody uses it for the wrong purpose. It's a screwdriver, it's not a spanner. You know, let's let's use the right thing. Um, I, I was doing a talk at Big Data London and I managed to get the whole audience actually at the end of it going, Excel is not a database. And, and I know there's one commercial company that's now stuck that quote on the back of a T-shirt and they're going to send me one um, on the back of it. But I think Excel's great um, and, and, and it democratizes use data and an awful lot of people but when you start coming to being able to run end-to-end -end business processes you need real-time data you need to make sure the data is good accurate and quality and you can't afford to set up cottage industries of teams sort of cross-referencing and overwriting stuff um, just be careful which tool you use yeah i love that um i must say um it's fair to say you are not in the space where excel is a strategic tool for core operational processes it it, it, it <laughs> absolutely shouldn't be it, one, one of the one of the areas that people get caught out of using something like that for core operational purposes it it might do well in in the process that you're on at the moment but if that process suddenly becomes a crisis and you need to turn the key and start flowing information much more quickly maybe even in in near real time to arguably to inform ministers on what's going on or to inform your CAO or your CFO on what's going on and you have built cottage industries with the wrong tools with that 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 you need to then spend time checking the data quality and cross-referencing with other stuff it just doesn't work in a real-time crisis situation so one of the things that I've been talking across government sort of peers about is for all your um, sort of really key critical systems if I was to tell you that the new black swan event is going to happen and you're going to have to report daily within day, will your systems be up for it? And if not, why don't you start looking at changing them now rather than mid-flight? Absolutely. Um, this has been a beautiful conversation. I've really enjoyed it. So, Neil, let me just say thank you for everything you've shared with us. Clearly, you've been down this road before and there's a ton of learnings. Um, I'm sure you do a lot of conferences and sp uh, public speaking. I'd love to be on one of them uh, with you and share sort of your, your experiences and sort of overlay that with the other industries. Um, and for our listeners, obviously, um, as we the, the whole purpose of this is to share the knowledge with the community, avoiding people going down the same rabbit holes as some of us have and the learnings that we bring to this. Um, and on that note, thank you very much. 
and yeah. look, look forward to speaking to you soon. Thank you for the chat, Sonny. Yeah, thank you. Thank you.